welcome to the first interseason episode between Prequelizers and the upcoming season seven of Sequelizers. It's a whole new interseason goodness for you folks. And uh, as always, I am your host, Jack Chambers. And joining me also, as always, is Mr. Matthew Stockton. I love you, Lobster Johnson! <laughs> Uh, I quoted the bad one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a moment. But before we get to the bad one, let's get to the good one, shall we? Also joining us is Tim Matum. It is the boy. He has eaten the pancake. He will never <laughs> come back to us now. <laughs> Truly, this is our blackest hour. <laughs> Fucking hell! So I don't know if people will be able to guess what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. From those two quotes, I generally don't know if people would pick it up because I know we've had people saying, "Oh, I listen in my car, so I'm glad you do the whole." Oh, by the way, the episode is about this thing because sure. previously we've joked like, "Well, obviously you can see the title of the episode, so we don't need to tell you what film we're fixing." So here it is, and we just mm -hmm. talk, and then <laughs> we just go straight into it. But we are, in fact. Talking about the Hellboy series, specifically talking about a sequel we'd like to see, and in a way, getting rid of a reboot that didn't need to happen in a weird kind of resetting the canon kind of thing. We want some Hellboy 3, as in the Ron Perlman Hellboy, not the David Harbour Hellboy, because fuck the 2019 film, and Ooh. fuck yes for Hellboy 1 and Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, because those films are under-fucking-rated. I love them so much. And the latest one is boring as hell. <laughs> this, is, this is sort of as close as we get to sequelizing during our, during our off time, our holiday. It is, yeah. This is, yeah. This is very yeah. much a Busman's Holiday episode because, you know, uh, as we often... We, we've, we've talked in the past about sequels that we'd like to see. We talked about Dread and we talked about uh, the Power Rangers... Uh, twenty what was it? Twenty eighteen? Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. God, time. We're it's a flat now. circle. Yeah, it is. Um, Especially in a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, so this is this is sort of uh, erasing twenty nineteen's Hellboy from existence and imagining a Del Toro Hellboy three. Yes, and we we did we did talk about this um, before we start recording. I know we're going to talk about this. I it's going to be an interesting topic for us to discuss if we had to pick and and to to give you a little idea of how these episodes work before we get into the nitty gritty of it all. Um, we're going to discuss some ideas, but not full pitches. One of us hasn't taken the lead. It's not a big, huge, you know, two thousand word pitch kind of thing like we do in the main episodes, the main structured season episodes this interseason stuff is a bit more loose it's a bit more discussion based we'll come up with some ideas we'll throw some things back and forth and we'll talk about what the, the kind of things we'd like to see if it if it happened basically so if this is your first interseason episode it's going to be more like that for the next few weeks so get mm. used to that before we get back into season seven but we will do mm. don't worry season seven is coming we'll be back to sequelizers we've got the list of films all planned out John Scarrett's working on the images and shit. It's all, it's all, all systems go, <laughs> mm -hmm. but we're going to keep you guys entertained. The weekly episodes are still here. Interseason continues. Don't you worry. Just some cool conversations between some cool... Exactly. Things. It allows us to branch out of 
fixing bad sequels. We go and talk about <laughs> our films we'd like to see. We get to talk about good films, which is mm. lovely. We get to say nice things about films, which is a nice change for us. And of course, there will be a listener feedback episode coming in a few weeks as well, because that is a staple of the interseason episodes. We'll get to all of that for this week. We're talking Hellboy, specifically if there was a Hellboy 3. I like that we've jumped straight in and we've said 2019 Hellboy, it's in the bin. Fuck doesn't it. exist. Yeah, we're, do, we're getting rid of it. We're, uh, whether we salvage bits and pieces, who knows? We'll come to that later. But I love that we've all said Del Toro and Ron Perlman. Yes. Yeah. Because to see these movies in anyone else's hands feels unnatural. I'm sure there are individuals who could handle it, but we kind of don't want that. <laughs> and I remember you specifically brought this up when we when we discussed the topics. Like, oh, what are we going to do for the interseasons? Matt brought up the idea of doing a Hellboy 3. I was like, okay, cool. And he said, okay, when you guys are coming up with your ideas, your little mini pitches, I'd be very interested to see if anyone chooses anyone other than Del Toro. And I was like, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of blasphemous. But yeah, I guess my question to you guys, before we get into a bigger discussion, is... Mm. Can you imagine anyone else doing a third Hellboy in this canon with those actors, with, that, with those characters, with that team, essentially, not directed by Guillermo del Toro? Because I just can't imagine it. His, his style, and we've talked about, Tim, you particularly mentioned him on the, the Movie Monster episode we did, where we talked about he's the king of the special effects and the creepy monsters and all the fairies and shit from Pan's Labyrinth. It, very much a similar kind of influence in the Hellboy films. I can't imagine anyone else handling it in the same way that he would. His his style and his vision is so integrated into the first two films. I'd find it really weird if there was a third one. But do you guys have any ideas for for a director, possibly? I mean, to me, it's such a perfect integration of director and story. You know, these are the topic, you know, the topics that Hellboy the comic covers. And and I will, this is uh, interesting for me because Hellboy is a big, blank spot in my comic reading uh, ah, history right, yeah, yeah. so i have basically very little familiarity with um the hellboy comics i know the characters roughly and i've read a few bits and pieces but for the most part i have not read any um but to, the... to put it into perspective i have about three or four volumes about yeah. <laughs> five inches to my right on the shelf over there so <laughs> although weirdly i do actually own a hellboy sketch by mike mignola oh what what, <laughs> what? <laughs> Hold on, uh, what? he did it in about 30 seconds with a biro uh, and it still looks amazing my knowing the topics roughly that are covered in the hellboy books it's so close to the topics that del toro is interested in um it's uh, you know, it's dealing with uh, Lovecraftian mythology without necessarily adapting it straight up. It's sympathetic monsters. It's mm. fairy tales. It is, um, you know, uh, gothic in the the true sense of it, where you have these kind of big sweeping romantic elements to it, as well as this pervasive darkness. And, you know, it's knowing about hidden worlds trapped beneath things in you know old and strange places like it's such a perfect match up between the subject matter and the director to tackle it and i think Mm -hmm. that any and i'm sure that we could come up with a list of names of like oh they could make you know an interesting hellboy film that could maybe exist in this world that you know uh and and that's um another thing to, to say is that 
especially with the Golden Army, it is very much, it's as much a Del Toro film as it is a Hellboy adaptation. Mm. Um, it There's a lot of elements in there that are purely Del Toro. Um, they just mesh really well with the established universe. Um, and I think as much as we could come up with a director who could play in that space, it's going to be... it's. <laughs> and again, we've used him as an example, even though we don't like him very much. Like, it's going to be the thing of uh, 302 oh, no, not and that, trying not to find again. someone who can do a Zack Snyder impression, which is always going to feel like, why didn't you just get Zack Snyder? You know, it's someone who has a very clear vision of what they want to do and a strong aesthetic and a strong connection with the source material. Um, and like, why would you want to try? Why would you want to try and play in that same area when you always are going to end up with an inferior version? And it and doesn't help that Del Toro is basically inimitable as well at this point. Mm. Like he's kind of the only guy who does what he does on the scale that he does it. So, yeah, you'd really get a bad imitation to say the least. I I think to to, to further that because uh, I agree entirely. I think it is a very hard separation. I think it's like the forging of a country, as it were, where the the, the base principles that you've sort of founded a new nation on are You're so writing your constitutions to... and things. <laughs> yeah, you you almost once you start trying to pick it apart, you go, well, no, 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 no. They've been there since the beginning. It's like, yeah, but maybe they shouldn't have. So there are, there are elements of Del Toro's direction. This may sound again quite blasphemous. That aren't really suited for Hellboy. Some things that actually don't work. But at the same time, that version of Hellboy does, and that's all that matters. Um, and I, I find that fascinating because we could say there are, and much what Tim said, there are so many people who could say like, oh well, you could take like uh, J. A. Bayona, who did the Orphanage, and I would say Del Toro produced or at least championed, um, and he did uh, the Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic Park film, which is a very split thing. But the truth is, he could only do a portion of what Del Toro does. It's like, how do we deal with this aspect of Del Toro's direction? Well, we'll go this. And it's like, oh, it doesn't cover the the big production design side of things. Okay, well, we'll get someone else. We'll get, um, I don't know, let's get Neil Blomkamp. It's like, ah, but when we don't get something to deal with the dark humor side of things. Oh, what about Sam Raimi? Okay, that yes, but then you don't have, and you, they end up saying, this guy is a total package for this kind of movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And everyone else feels like a component with something missing. And subsequently, the film will always feel like something is missing. Yeah, the, the, you you would end up trying to kind of recreate him in the aggregate, which I'd imagine would probably involve hiring a lot of the people that he normally works with for production design, for yes, your ADs, yes. for all those other kind of things. And and again, you come back to the fact of like, well, why not just stump up the money and get Del Toro? <laughs> you know, why not? Why not? wait for him to be ready to do that project you know when he's done with you know and i'm sure we'll get in how many abortive projects that he has had and mm. you know mm. stuff like the hobbit I mean, and things like that yeah we it, talked about that like, on the thing episode as well yeah it felt mm. like for a good long while there were just he would constantly have projects that he was working on announced but without any films coming out and then you know they they'd sort of bubble away in the background and then it'd be like oh yeah that's actually moved on to someone else now um and that's exactly what happened with hellboy 3 it, yeah. it was it was planned it was rumored for ages and then suddenly mike mignola tweets like hey by the way we're doing a new one delta and perlman are gone but we're doing a new <laughs> hellboy yeah everyone get excited everybody loves hellboy there's no perlman or del Toro. everyone keep quiet it's weird because it was 11 years after the golden army so it's it's God. it's 
it was possible that you Fuck. could completely... We're so old. The Golden Army was so long ago. <laughs> Very much so. It's possible that you could have had such a separation that people could say, no, this is a new version. People like David Harbour. Mm. He's a good actor. He might be a good fit. Show them the, the costume. like, fair enough. We'll give it a go. And that's fine because you could have like three, fuck, four fucking Spider-Men in, you know, a, a space of yeah. like three or four years. <laughs> We've had, yeah, seven Spider-Man films, like a decade. Yeah. Haven't we? It's an adaptation. It's like, it's, again, and as much as I don't uh, agree with this, the amount of Sherlock Holmes we've had, the amount of people who've Ugh. tried to, their hand at that shit. But then equally, something we may come back to a little later, um, every motherfucker's played Hamlet at some point <laughs> and every version is different and some have their own merits. I think every young kid should try playing a Spider-Man, see how they go with it. It's just one of those things of your time. And it's, if you can do something new with that, it shows off you as an artist and you as an actor and things things you can do and neil marshall for example is actually a really good shout we it's something we would have pitched in a sequelizer thing and then yeah, you see the reality yeah. and think oh no this is literally awful yeah i i would and, and again haven't seen 2019's hellboy i i, I raised oh, the idea of like oh it's on netflix now should i bother watching it for this hellboy episode and uh, uh and the the consensus amongst my other two sequelizers was no don't bother um Nope. And who knows? Maybe I'll one day I'll be hungover and uh, I'll decide that that's See, what I, I want to watch. I think you should just to get your opinion, but I don't think but, you should for yeah. this research because it will make you angry. My my plan was to watch it for that kind of hangover thing of like, yeah, uh, it's a Sunday afternoon. I just need something to chuck on. I really like Hellboy. It can't be that bad. <laughs> it, it it's boring as hell. I saw it opening night in IMAX and I hated myself. <laughs> Fucking knew you saw it opening <laughs> night. You you fool. But from uh, yeah. from what I can gather, and again, this you know, Hellboy, the comics are such a stylized, mm. inimitable thing. It, that, it's almost exclusively been the vision of Mike Mignola. Yeah, for its entire run. Like, yeah, and a lot almost, of it is based on the things yeah. he can't draw. So, for example, it's like, why is there so <laughs> much steam everywhere? Oh, he can't draw feet. And it's just like, well, problem solved. There's just mist everywhere. And that's part of the universe building because it sort of covers for the things he does and doesn't like. And that's just the nature of a very singular control. And that's why I'm saying, like, the film versions technically aren't... I mean, like, Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman's creation as a team is both brilliant and perfect and completely different from an actual BPRD Hellboy comic. And that's fine because the version they've given us is such a great one because, and this is the key thing about Del Toro in general, like when he's adapting like uh, the idea of a gothic horror or a kaiju movie, it pisses off some people saying, that's not a kaiju film, that's not a mech film. But his heart is in it and he's trying. And for that, people give him a lot of a lot of grace. Even people like say, oh, I've made a World War II, not World War II, well, effectively a World War II film by doing a Spanish Civil War movie. I was like, but it's also got fairies and shit. <laughs> um, some people love that and say, oh, it's really good and highbrow. It's a really good war. Make him do a straight war film. And he's like, I don't really give a shit about that. But he's like, but you can. You physically can. It's like, I did. In my own way. And I think that's the thing with Hellboy. I did make Hellboy in my own way. And so anything that's going to be an imitation of, of, of Del Toro or alternatively an imitation of what Mignola does, unless it has a really strong personality, like we're saying about the idea that Jackson, Peter Jackson, did a really, really strong thing with Lord of the Rings. You either have a Del Toro Hobbit that's going to be so distinct or you get something back that's going to be reminiscent of the original, which, of course, the Hobbit was not. But that's 
a different conversation. Which was Jackson trying to imitate Jackson and doing it really <laughs> badly, which is which bucks against the trend of like, oh, I don't get the original guy back. Get the, the, the worst thing would be an imitation. They got the guy back and he fucked it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Del Toro. It would have been a more interesting choice than that. Mm. But yeah, I think that's the thing is that, and and I think that there was pressure from Mignola to make the 2019 Hellboy closer to his vision of what Very Hellboy much so, from what I understand, like. yeah. Mm, mm. But I think He was a lot that, more involved. Yeah. Like I said, he announced it on Twitter. Not yeah. a company, not Dark Horse, not, not fucking whoever, whoever it is, who, whichever... Lionsgate, probably. Lionsgate, yeah. or whoever it is. Um, who is it? Yeah, it is Lionsgate. There you go. Yeah. Mm. Mike Mignola just tweeted, like, hey, by the way, I have the rights and here it is. Like, um, okay, sure. Yeah. Why are you announcing this? <laughs> but I think that by trying to hew closer to the comic without having a creator who can make the kind of leaps that Del Toro did in terms of like, okay, that worked in the comic. I understand the heart of the comic. I understand the heart of the characters, but I know that certain things have to change for an adaptation. True. I think that from everything I've heard, the 2019 suffers it's a bit it's kind of trying to be del toro it's kind of trying to be a straight up adaptation and it just feels like nothing um yeah. yep you if you wanted to really do like okay we're going to start again we're going to you know reboot hellboy so to speak you would need someone who had an equally strong creative vision to interpret the books and say okay i understand you know what hellboy is uh, weirdly i feel like you know, it, it's sometimes that when it comes to adaptation, you know, and we can certainly point to, say, J.K. Rowling for things like this, like oh, yeah. the original creators can have too much of a hand on, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, as much as we want to make sure that they get, you know, adequately compensated for their work and, you know, things like that, sometimes when it comes to translating something into a different medium, like, you know, writers are writers you know, who work, say, a, a prose writer or a comic book artist, you know, they work in that medium for a reason and they may not understand the demands of a, of something different. And, and part of me would be like, I'd rather see, like, Michael Bay's Hellboy than... Fucking hell, there's an uh, idea. Than, a, than <laughs> one that Mike Mignola's kind of half-directed or had a heady, like had a heavy hand in. Yeah. Because... He worked on the plot with Andrew Cosby, from what I understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't quite co-write it, but mm, yeah, mm. probably kind of... He, he'd written early drafts with him or something like that, I believe. You want to champion a voice, and you want to get the right voice, but you don't know if it's the right voice until it's too late. Like David Lynch doing June. And you're like, that's a genius, genius shout. And parts of that film are really, really good. And then other parts are like, this is a mistake. Why the hell did you get Lynch for crying out loud? And in the same way that you can never, it, it, sometimes there are so many projects you can talk about where they, they, you had the, everything perfectly aligned and messed up. I mean, if we take one where it literally is, I wrote this, I'm going to helm it. You could take, uh, I, I guess, the other side of the, the cinematic spectrum to, to Hellboy, Doubt, um, uh, starring... <laughs> Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Meryl Streep, and, and Amy Adams and, and Viola Davis and stuff. Um, it's a John Patrick Shanley uh, play, which won like a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony Awards and all sorts of things. And he, he, I believe he direct, wrote, yeah, wrote and directed the, the play. 
And then he wrote the screenplay for it and then directed the film, which is a fucking brilliant film. Um, Oscar winning film, in fact. Or nominated, I don't remember why not. But point is, it's genius. And that's the whole, no, no, I know how I can translate this to film and make it work perfectly. More than that, I can shoot it. I know I have it in my head. I know how it works for a stage. I know I can work on, uh, on a screen. Brilliant. And that worked perfectly. There are other times it's like, I wrote, you wrote the book. How, how is this so fucking terrible as a script? <laughs> how is it so terrible as a goddamn play? You know, transitioning between the mediums is actually very, very difficult, but it can work. But I think Mignola's invol- involvement, um, it makes sense. You do want the creator close by, but then equally I've seen Jeff Johns attached to so many DC projects that have been shit. It's like, Oh, Green Lantern are definitely good. Look, Jeff Johns is on as a consultant or an advisor <laughs> or a producer. And you're like, yeah, I've never seen him really be involved in a good film at this point. So I don't know where that's coming from. Yeah. It's, it's just hard to know until you actually hit that wall. Unfortunately, it could have been fine. There'd have been enough time to, to do a new thing. David Harbour was, well, is a, a very revered actor. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things, he'd be coming off that, was a great casting mindset. Like physically, he, he really looks, but when they released he that does. first image of Hellboy, him as Hellboy, like mm. it, it looked very similar to the Ron Perlman version, you know? And the, yeah. yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 a problem because it's not stepping away enough. But then it was the things that what's different this time. It's like, well, his hair's down. It's like, yeah, I don't think. I like yeah, that. They, so they specifically went for a younger Hellboy. I, I was reading up about the kind of the approach that Harbour took playing the character and the mm. approach that Neil Marshall took to directing the film. Was like, this is a younger Hellboy. He's a bit more reckless. He's not as kind of gruff and gritty as old man Pullman is, kind of thing. And we want to make him look different. Like the horned Hellboy is pretty different in this. And that's probably like the big, he's, mm, they, they try to go kind of like the comic book version where he's full on like big crazy True. devil with giant horns and yellow eyes and flames all around him and all that kind of stuff. You kind of got that in the Del Toro version. He still had the big horns and stuff, but they just kind of exaggerated it and made it like even more comic booky than, it was in the previous one. And I think the real problem with that film is that it tries to strike a balance between the two and doesn't nail either one. It's like, oh, we want to differentiate ourselves from the Del Toro films, but fuck it, it basically looks like a badly done Del Toro film because you cannot escape that shadow because you're doing a very makeup effect driven Hellboy film featuring a big dude in a big red like <laughs> makeup suit. And whether you like it or not, you're going to look like Ron Perlman because you're dressed as fucking Hellboy. And yeah. Hellboy looks like Hellboy. So tough. Every character who's been portrayed multiple times, you will always have to talk about the one that came before or the one that came in the past who is the standard, the gold standard, whether it's a Batman or Hamlet or whatever. There's a, like a definitive version or whatever, yeah. Precisely. And it's for the times, the ages, the language, the whatever. And then obviously with certain comic properties, there aren't enough of them to say, here's a lot of versions of a good version. You just get literally, here's the pinnacle best version and oh balls. But I think also there is something to be said for pushing the envelope. Um, And not necessarily desensitization, but the evolution of the audience. So for example, in 2004, I was 20. And Hellboy came out. And I think this is something we haven't actually talked about. We've, we've been shitting on 2019 for so long. We, we, we always give it as, a, as, as written that the 2004 and 2008 are brilliant and we just moved on because that's how <laughs> a lot of people feel about it. So I was 20 when that came out and it was a perfect thing to watch at 20 years old in the cinema. I thought, 
this is brilliant. It's not a perfect film. It was just very, very enjoyable. Um, I didn't think it was a, a great, shall we say, Hellboy adaptation because I was used to the short story mindset and, and a lot deeper thing. But yeah, the, the, heart the first was few there collections of Hellboy books are collected short stories. Mm. Like Seed of Destruction and all that is kind of like the first few collected short stories. And it felt weird to me. So I hadn't read much Hellboy when the first one came out. I was 14 when the first one came out. I hadn't sure. read that much stuff. I was kind of getting back into quote unquote proper comics. I was like reading the Beano and all that kind of shit as a kid and then kind of got into Spider-Man for a bit and then dropped off for a bit and then kind of came back in my teenage years. But I really came back when the second one came out. When I went to university, my housemate was really into comics and we really kind of bonded over that. And I was like, oh shit, okay, this is... Now I'm really back and I'm reading Marvel and DC on a monthly, weekly basis and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of branched out and first discovered, oh, Image and Dark Horse are a thing. And I can actually go out and read stuff that isn't Marvel and DC, you know? Like, it doesn't have to all be fucking superhero stuff. So that was one of the first moment. And I'm like, I've just been reading Hellboy. There's a Hellboy film coming out. Because in 2008, there's a Hellboy film coming out. I think that's the thing. I think that if you think about where the audience was and where the people were, so we talk about like 2019 going like, oh, we're doing Del Toro, but you know, just going a little bit more, like bigger horns. I mean, it's like, yeah, because when this came out, and I know there will always be examples, but in the mainstream, there wasn't a great deal like this. 2004 was the first superhero wage surge coming through. So you had things like, Daredevil and the first couple of Spider-Man films and the X-Men films. And it's like, this is superhero territory. This is what we're starting to build towards. Um, and that was the thing. And this was marketed as a superhero film. I mean, it is technically this is comic book adaptation. It's kind of, but it's not really. Um, but that's how it was, I think. I mean, I remember like the the uh, uh, the, the post taglines being like, here to protect and all that sort of stuff. And mm. then it's like, serving the public and not your regular hero. And it's like, okay. Because they were trying yeah, to market here to that protect audience. was the first one. And the second one was, uh, believe it or not, he's the good guy. That was it. The, exactly. <laughs> there you go. And it, But even then, it was still, the story had to be worked where it was um, told from the, the audience surrogate. It still wasn't Hellboy is the main character, effectively, even though he is, he's the title character. It was still told through the uh the audience surrogate of of Myers mm. because he had to have that human element and by the time just four years later when Hellboy 2 comes out they realize very quickly oh fans are already here now yeah. whether they're fans of the comic or just because they like this stuff and they've realized that there's no real representation for this kind of movie we don't need the fucking human character we need these guys, we need, for lack of a better word, the freaks. We need the people that are like Abe Saban. And that's why, for example, when you had the studio saying, oh, th this guy, uh, this 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 physical bloke, get uh, Doug Jones, really good, really good performance. You know, he's, he kind of sounds like David Hyde Pierce mm -hmm. from Frasier. <laughs> you know the guy from Frasier? Him... You know the one that's not yeah, Kelsey Grammer Niles, from Frasier, that yeah. guy? Yeah. We'll get him to do the, dub the voice. And I must admit, I, I very much credit to David Hyde Pierce. He did basically a Doug Jones impression, doing his own voice. And, it was fine. Of, yeah. and, he, and he said, I've done nothing. I've brought nothing to this role other than my voice. I don't want to be credited. And not in me. I don't believe it's any sort of media. Like, oh, this is a disgraceful movie. Take my name off mm. it. It was like, I don't need to be doing this. And then when the second film comes out and it's Doug Jones's voice, you're like, 
why did you waste time and money yep. dubbing him yep. for a name that people would go, oh, David Hyde Pierce, you say? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the guy from Fraser. Ooh, Not- I love notorious the guy from Fraser. box office gold, David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> S- sub, uh, co-star of Nixon with Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> um, but that's the point. They, and they still do that. They did it with the, with the Turtles films recently as well. They're like, that guy sounds like Johnny Knoxville. It's like, what? Um, but that's, that's just studio mindsets. So by the time the second film comes out, as much as Hellboy's an, a pretty decent, solid, entertaining romp, and I think it's very good and deals a lot. I mean, it's it's a ballsy movie. It's 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 got a fucking Cthulhu-y style monster demon. It's got Nazis. It's got a bald ass Rasputin. There's so much to take in. If you're like, if you're not here for it in the first ten minutes, you are fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then by the time the second film comes out, and two just four just four years later, again the the market hadn't changed that much, but it was like, give Del Toro what he wants to do. He's done blade 2 and stuff and he's got his uh, his thing down we have this audience we're good and then he releases this movie which again is much more successful and so forth and it's much more of his film it's more beautiful in its madness it's more over the top it's more uh centered on the elements that you would expect to like in this movie i.e the monsters and the the spectacle and stuff and at this point he's also done pan's labyrinth which means you know, he's now a critical darling as well. And he's like, everyone's like, oh, well, of course he's made it. this beautiful uh, fae-like monster, this giant creature that they fight who's part tree. And it's like, you've killed a thing of uh, a unique, beautiful creature. How do you feel? You've protected these people who hate you. And there's so much going on there. It's like, well, of course there is, because he made Pan's Labyrinth. It's, it's more assured. Like he had... Most definitely. Coming off of, okay, Hellboy... And he's... he's for the lot, especially during the early part of his career, he's been very clever in terms of doing like, here's something very artistic and distinctive. Here's something a little bit more popcorny, and he has kind of made that step back and forward several times. And the fact that he did Hellboy and was like, here I'm going to do this comic book adaptation. It's going to be a big. It's going to be a decent sized success, especially for quite a weird comic book. Now I'm going to go make a film that's Oscar worthy, you know, and then I'm going to come back. And you're going to really give me free reign to get weird with the the comic book sequel. But it's hard to separate the success of the film from just one person. It isn't just Del Toro. He is obviously thing, but he's assembled an amazing thing. And I like how there are tales of who he didn't use. The inclusion of Myers, for example, um, which again is one of those things that you would think would frustrate an audience. Like, oh, that's clearly um, a studio inclusion. Get Rupert Evans in because he's like this pretty boy white dude and he can be the audience surrogates and it's a very easy story, but it feels like a concession. Except that wasn't, that was a Del Toro choice. And he wanted to have uh, Thomas Kreshman, I believe, playing Johann Krauss. And then he said, it doesn't sound right. I want a German actor, but it doesn't sound right. Mm. So he went to Seth MacFarlane, of all people, and the, <laughs> the almost cartoony German accent kind of worked a bit better. Um <laughs> Because it feels more in line with the character. And that's just the nature of performance. And I think that's quite interesting because, again, it's him getting bolder as a director, but also knowing what's appropriate for the project. Like when to use CGI, when to use practical, that Mm. kind of stuff. To separate it from Ron Perlman as well. We talk about, like, you know, David Harbour being a good actor and being in makeup great for the role mm. a different version sure there are moments in that movie where it's the Baba Yaga scene is really quite good and uh, David Harbour's got good control over it I think it's quite interesting but Ron Perlman defined it so goddamn well mm-hmm. that 
it's difficult to 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 follow Sean Connery's Bond. Put it that way. Um, you can do it, of course you can, yeah. but you need time and distance. And even with that, Hellboy 2019 didn't have it because it didn't have a good fucking script. Um, and it was a goddamn mess, despite being made for less money than either of the Hellboy movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've kind of we've we've gone through why 2019 didn't work, and we've gone through some of the reasons why Del Toro and the previous two adaptations, Hellboy and, and Hellboy the Golden Army, were so good. Do we now want to get into what we would have liked to have seen in a Hellboy 3? I would like to have seen Del Toro either straight up get in The Hobbit right from the fucking start, so get it and then move on to something else, or alternatively, get Mountains of Madness and then do it and get on to something else. This fucking about in pre-production where you've got three or four years burned doing arguably nothing and this thing that we talked about in sequelizer was like get this director he's not doing anything there are, people are always, always doing, doing something yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly unless they're terence malick <laughs> <laughs> yeah then he's doing nothing and then he's suddenly he's doing everything it's, it's like when like ridley scott makes a movie and he's like oh i've been working for five years on on storyboarded production ideas where i've painted some images of of banners from a fucking crusades and you're like what it's like, yeah. oh, I'm making a movie in four years' time. So, exactly. Uh, okay. Or James Cameron, who spends oh, a decade Cameron. making nothing. Or he's under the sea. But apparently seven Avatar sequels at the same <laughs> time for sake. some reason over the next yeah. 40 years. Like, release something. Do some, show us a thing. Make a goddamn make film. Make a goddamn film, you fucking filmmaker. That that was the thing with James Cameron when he starts saying, oh, there are other stories to tell than superhero stories. And it's like, then fucking tell one. No one is stopping you from making a movie other exactly. than you, you prick. Exactly. Except now Disney own it, so maybe they are stopping him a little bit. <laughs> because nobody gives a fuck. That's a good point. Um, like, he's gone all the way around and he's like, by the time he's moaning about superhero films, he's owned by Disney. Make something. Prove us wrong. Yeah. That's, that's, that's entirely on you, You've I'm made afraid. two of the highest grossing films to... Formerly highest grossing films ever. Oh yeah, films. Yeah. So do it again. I fucking yeah. dare you. If you're listening, James, <laughs> step up Th to the plate. Let's do it. There's a statement, a bit of a digression here, but there's a statement about James Cameron, which is people aren't really worried about the films he's making in terms of the stories. People worry about the technology he's going to bring and how he's going to push the industry forward. So he better do something. Yeah. Um, but a 5D experience. Oh, okay. <laughs> he comes in and just tickles you, and you're like, fuck off. But suddenly, it's all the rage. Um, <laughs> With with Del Toro, if he just hadn't been pissing about, and I don't mean this in a way that he was mucking about, but being pissed about, shall we say, on so many different projects, he would have got Hellboy 3 out of the way. Because I think the thing is, because of not necessarily his age, but Ron Perlman's age mm. and the zeal for it and the things about telling other stories, I think in truth, if in 2011 he'd released his Mountains of Madness Lovecraftian adaptation, or alternatively, he'd released... A, a Hobbit film or two or whatever it was going to be, then Pacific Rim might not exist, better or worse, it would be a Hellboy 3. Mm. It would be finally, there it is. But now it's, yeah, it's too late. And and the truth is, it is too fucking late. Mm -hmm. You can't come back. And I think it, if you did come back, it would be a Brian Singer coming back to X-Men moment where it's like, oh, we all thought this would be a perfect fit and turns out we're not happy with it. And now we know some terrible things about Brian Singer. Um, if you were to tell me Hellboy 3 with Ron Perlman in the role and Del Toro directing had been greenlit for 2023. Anything other than old man Logan style story, 
I don't think I'd be happy with it. I don't think mm. I'd want it. I mean, maybe it would blow me away. But it, there was a moment in time, I think we'll come back to this later in the sequelizers season down the line. It's like Sin City. You had mm. a window and you missed it. Yes. And to return to the James Bond analogy, you know, if if Perlman is Connery, then Harbour is Lazenby. And if there mm. is one grace to Hellboy 2019, it's that you've got the shitty follow-up adaptation that no one kind of wants and everyone's like, why haven't you stuck with the original and kept on doing it? And maybe, you know, we'll get the Hellboy equivalent of Roger Moore. Maybe we'll get some lighter-toned, you know, Hellboy stories, a bit more, uh, not necessarily whimsical, maybe a bit more comic booky in the in the kind of, uh, you know, family-friendly sense or whatever. Um, Possibly. While still, you know, I mean, that's just carrying over Roger Moore Bond films, but like maybe <laughs> maybe we have had that bad experience so that it almost acts it, it's the uh it's the sorbet between the main rounds. So you yeah. can go, okay, the first one after Del Toro was always was never gonna be great because of how great those adaptations were. But now it's it's shown that you can make another Hellboy film you know, good or bad, but you can make one that is different. Now let's actually let someone who has got some vision to it. The the classic 2020 thing to do, not that I necessarily approve or disapprove of this, the classic thing to do now would be make a uh, a 10 episode yeah. Netflix style. <laughs> yeah. HBO Max series yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And we suggest these things every now and again as actual, like we you should do that. But equally, sometimes it's like, oh, that's a bit of a cop-out. But the truth is, Hellboy is a serial. It's always been about short stories. And um, around the release of Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, they also released these two animated films, mm. about half an hour each. Um, and I really like them. Um, I think that might be the better way to do it, if I'm honest. They are canon to the Del Toro films. They're mm. essentially prequels to the Del Toro films with Perlman and... and uh, jones and everybody kind of reprising their voice roles essentially hmm. and yeah they're really good uh so sword of storms and blood and iron are the the two straight to dvd animated ones straight to dvd animated prequel sounds like a fucking terrible idea <laughs> but they're actually quite well done and actually pretty good so if you do want more hellboy content and you don't mm. want to go out and watch the 2019 film which you shouldn't <laughs> then check out those. You can get them on DVD. They were on a streaming service a while ago, but they have since been like lost to the sands of time, for what I can right. tell. So yeah, I've I've got them, but I've, I've got, got one DVD. I'm, I'm sure DVD. they're yeah. easy enough to track down on eBay. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. Yeah, find them in CEX or eBay or something. Yeah, I I would say to pair with it. By the way, speaking of David Hyde Pierce, I would say also check out the 20 minute. I don't say pilot. I think it's just a short TV thing, but the point is they should have made this a fucking show. It's all done in, in Mignola's directorial sort of visual style. And it's 20 minute short called the amazing screw on head. with oh, Paul Giamatti yeah. and David Hyde Pierce. And I fucking love it so much. It's so fun and so silly. It doesn't, it, again, it feels like the Mignola comic and it's got that sort of, like they talk about like David Arbor and neil marshall going with the we want to make him a bit younger obviously he looks just as fucking old yeah and hellboy is supposed to be like early 20s anyway in terms of his personality but the way that mignola writes him is more he's like kind of like a teenager mm. he has a sort of if spider-man was really lethargic and lazy 
And uh, that, that's the kind of attitude he'd have. And I don't think I came across in the, the David Harbour version because he still felt like a 40-year-old man. It's just like, oh, it doesn't really work. But The Amazing Screw on Head has that kind of comedy. It's very fun. And I think that as a cartoon series or that as a, an animated show would be great. Same thing with Hellboy, same with BPRD, same with all of it. I think that'd be good. And you could still get away with being a 12A, that kind of stuff, or a PG-13, whatever you want to call it. Because the, the plan for... To, to loop back to Hellboy 3 in the 2019 film before we get on to our, our yes. plans and ideas, the plan was to do a BPRD film. The plan was to do an Abe Sapien focused with Hellboy in a supporting role, and that would be like whether that was going to be a spin-off kind of thing that would go off and be straight to TV or whatever it was, but the plan was to do a full thing. Uh, it had the code name Silver Lance, which is appropriately Hellboyish and silly. Um <laughs> But yeah, the plan was to have it kind of like tie in through the Golden Army stuff and, and build from there, basically. Sure. But it never happened because Del Toro and Mignola and everybody talked about a possible Hellboy 3. And then it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the point where like, Ron Perlman showed up and did like a Make-A-Wish appearance in the full makeup and stuff. And everybody was like, oh, he's doing Hellboy again. <laughs> Perlman's in the makeup. Holy shit. That was seven years ago, everybody. Like, <laughs> that was a long time ago. And then everybody's like, oh, wow, yeah. And then apparently Perlman and Del Toro have just relentlessly been asked this for the last like decade of like, mm. when are you doing Hellboy 3? And eventually they both just went, we're not, we can't. Yeah. And then, as I mentioned, Mike Mignola then just tweets out like, oh, by the way, we're doing Hellboy. And he's like, oh, it's a brand new Hellboy. No Del Toro Perlman. Hey, wait, what? What are you talking about? Like, yeah, it's going to be great, guys. Don't worry. Like, okay, Mike. This is going to be R-rated because that's what you were missing. Swears. Yeah, we need more swears. Uh, the, 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 the course pushed through by Deadpool and the success of Logan no. and other films as well. I think this is going to be a thing with this, because if you haven't already noticed from our previous episodes, we're going to come back to this as a regular thing of sequels we'd like to see. It's going to be a regular feature. Hopefully you've realised. Um, but I think there'll be a running theme with with these where we go, oh, I'd love to have seen this. It'd be great. We've, we're so starved. We're so frustrated. We had this perfect meal and now we can't have any more. As we've seen from the rest of this fucking show, <laughs> there's always more meal. Um, there's always sequels. Yeah, there's always more, and they're always disappointing. <laughs> Sometimes you get a great one, but let's face it, it's fucking rare. And subsequently, just, yeah, it's unfortunate that we got one Hellboy that was good, second Hellboy that's really goddamn good, and then a big, you know, a little bits of pieces, little these animated little things, but mostly nothing until 2019, which we didn't know about at the time. But the truth is, sometimes it's okay to go out on high and just go, and there we go. Yeah. It yeah. could have been a lot worse because then again, classically, Blade Trinity. And if if you if you say like, well, what about Blade Trinity? What if he did a Blade Three rather than you know, um, uh, doing anything else? It's like if Del Toro did. I mean, we might cover this later in the sequelizers episode. But if Del Toro does a Blade Three, you have to cut something out of his actual career, and that's the problem. It's like, well, what am I losing? Am I losing Pan's Labyrinth or Hellboy Two? And I'm, I don't want to lose that for a possible Blade Three. You end up with this really odd conversation. So, for example. Yes, there's no Hellboy 3. Yes, it's really frustrating, but I'm happy with what I got. So I'm a, I, I can live with it, to be fair. It's just, it's just a rarity. I'm angry about Dread. I'm annoyed about Power Rangers. 
Hellboy 3 I understand in a weird way because yeah. I don't want to have to have a bad Hellboy movie yeah. because now I know what it looks like. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting kind of talking about what we missed out on and what, what we would have liked to have seen and, and how, you know, sometimes there is, uh, uh, more, more often than not, as we deal with, uh, there are bad sequels. But I think the the interesting thing about Golden Army is it seems to not necessarily set up for a direct sequel, but it certainly it it leaves stories there to be told, most notably the fact that it ends with uh, Liz pregnant, uh, with twins, mm-hmm. in fact, and with Hellboy and a bunch of the other characters having left the BPRD. Um, and it's quite a seismic shake-up at the end of that film to the kind of standard operating of that universe that does kind of beg a sequel and it and it and it feels like if del toro had gone back you know within the the first you know four or five years of it being made that he made those changes at the you know to the status quo at the end of the film because he had ideas of where he wanted to pursue it um and I think that's that's kind of the interesting thing of looking at, at at what a Hellboy three under Del Toro could have looked like is that as much as you have the comics to adapt and elements to pull from them, which the the films you know obviously always did, um, particularly Golden Army, like it was kind of it, it was Del Toro and um, Mike Mignola working on a plot together. And developing mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. and it wasn't really based on there were there were elements that it pulled from the hellboy books but the plot was kind of a complete new fabrication and as far as i'm aware i don't think liz ever gets pregnant in any of the hellboy comics i don't think hellboy ever has kids in them um and so as much as there's we can pull from the comic books to look for you know where where would a hellboy 3 go in a lot of ways, it's unpredictable because clearly Del Toro was telling his own stories, you know, in that universe. Um, and obviously, we've mentioned that we we've got we've put together some ideas of what we'd like to see. Um, I've I've kind of I haven't done anywhere near as as thorough a pitch as uh, the other two have. Um, my main thoughts were that a character who's visual i have always enjoyed uh even though i haven't actually read any of the stories involving him is roger the homunculus oh yeah um and i think that there's i was doing a little bit of reading up on him and his first story involves him accidentally draining liz's uh pyrokinetic uh, powers um and using those to kind of activate himself um and i think that there's potentially an interesting story to be told there about her dealing with whether she still wants her powers whether you know the the conflict between you know having her powers and being a mother um mm-hmm. and how she deals with that and Roger potentially draining them away introduces an interesting you know arc kind of similar to a, a bit of what Rogue dealt with across the X-Men films of like <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. how, you know do, does she does she actually want this ability and you know what does it you know what is she sacrificing to keep it what is she willing to sacrifice to give it away um and so i think that there that would make an interesting angle and and a natural way to explore that um and beyond that i i would you know i think the the thing is is that 
even if I had fully read all the comics, my notion of what I want a Hellboy 3 to be is very much just we let Del Toro do his thing, you know. Um, and I'm sure that once, if if I did have a story in mind that I could come up with casting and stuff like that, but I think so much of it would be dependent on what story he wanted to tell. Um, that's entirely fair. I think that that's... Without, okay. Without completely cutting the legs out of, of Jack and myself, that's probably the most mature and adult way to look at it, is to say... <laughs> Find the creators who made the thing good, and rather than us telling them, well, you need to adapt this particular storyline, just say, well, we kind of just want to tell this kind of story because it's what we think will work for the character and what we mm. think is a nice story to tell. And that, truthfully, is the best fix. That entirely is it. What do you want to do next? What, Where do you see this going? Um, I think the, the, the classic trilogy arc, as it were, is technically in place in two. Mm. You have the assemble the team, Figure out who everyone is. Second film. Okay, we've got to handle who everyone is now. Tear them apart and put them back together again. Make them leave. Whatever it's going to be. And a bit of a weird note. Bit of a cliffhanger. Who knows? And the third film, basically, if I'm brutally honest, just just stick the landing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. If you want to link some themes in, you want to make it work, go for it. But just just try and make it work. Mm. That's what we've seen in so many trilogies across the board. Successful and unsuccessful. Entirely, entirely. The second one is always, and as, as Jack is fond of saying, uh, begrudgingly, is an empire. No one wants to make that comparison, but you do, because it's an empire strikes back. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. It's the idea of, now it's the dark time. Now it's where things go apart, and the, the group that you thought were together, they're not working well together anymore. And, and that's just because it's the natural evolution of getting to know people. We understand that. And that doesn't necessarily take place in the way we think it does in Hellboy 2, because Del Toro and Mignola aren't really following that kind of thing. It's 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 almost like a a part one again in a in a strange way because you're reintroduced to them mm. uh, in a new way and, and 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 most importantly I think you're introduced to the world a lot better. Um, so I think I think Tim's Tim's ultimately right. Um, <laughs> and that's it, not going to stop Jack and I always. talking shit. <laughs> and I think the other the other thing is is that the Hellboy comics are so consistently good and again this is from someone who hasn't read them but who is aware of their critical you know acclaim and stuff like that that they across them there there are very few you know duds but there's also because of then the nature of them and the way that they tend most of them have tended to be quite short stories it's not like for example the x-men where you can point to oh, we've, you know, if you're going for a big finale, you want to do Dark Phoenix, or you want to do this, sure, you sure. want to do that. Like, There's no real definitive arcs for Hellboy, really. There's lots of cool bits, but... Yeah, there's certain um, uh, elements, and I'm sure that you guys will dive into some of those, having had a, a brief glimpse at your uh, pitches, but like a lot of the best of Hellboy stuff is like two-page stories or like mm. you know one-issue stories. You um, you often get like two or three-issue arcs. So mm. like and as you said, comparing it to X Men is a good example. Taking something like Batman, which is this long ongoing thing for the last eighty years, basically, mm. where you can have a creator do like a thirty-issue run, basically, and have this one. And sure, they'll have different arcs within that, but it's this one continuous story. And, oh, this is Grant Morrison's Batman. This is Scott mm. Snyder's Batman. This is whoever, you know, um, whoever's Batman. Mm. Mignola is, is Hellboy, essentially. There are a couple yeah. of other people that have done BPRD stuff, but it's all been 
with his blessing and his co-writing and he's not he's not done the artist he's not done the art for a while and Duncan Fregredo has stepped in and who's fucking amazing he did a lot of the the final issues of of Hellboy which I will uh, <clears throat> touch upon later mm-hmm. on maybe and yeah it, it's it's a interesting thing to talk about the consistency of it because you've got so much to pull from but as you said Tim often it's little seeds pun intended seed of destruction seeds of things that you can then or a thread you can then pull on and make it a feature film mm. because i think the problem a lot of people have is taking a huge thing like a big batman story or a big huge concept taking the hobbit or the lord of the rings or whatever it is and trying to condense all of that into in the case of the the lord of the rings like 15 hours but you know what i mean into a 90 minute 120 minute whatever it is into a couple of hours you've got to take all this content and all this you've got to build the world you've got to introduce all the characters blah 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 blah. because if you're taking something from the middle of a hellboy series you've got to have all the established characters thankfully we've already got that from the first two films so you can kind Mm. of pick and choose anything and funny you should mention roger the homunculus because that was the original plan for hellboy 2 Mm. Del, Del Toro worked with Mignola and they were going to adapt the one where Roger's brother is the bad guy like mm. Roger's yeah. brother becomes awakened and tries to build this giant homunculus the colossal colossal homunculus uh, something called almost colossus that's what the, that little uh, mm. arc is called it's like two issues um, or something isn't it yeah yeah um, and that's kind of where they started with Hellboy 2 and they realised like actually Let's do something. Let's do something new. Let's do, base it on mythology because Mignola's work more and more, and as we'll get on to later on for sure, yeah, has yeah. become more and more based on mythology. And Del Toro was working on Pan's Labyrinth, so I think that would have worked taking something like that and adapting it. But I'm not sure if Del Toro Mignola would have wanted to go that direction mm-hmm. in terms of going back towards a quote-unquote more traditional adaptation of a Hellboy story, mm-hmm. whereas yeah. Golden Army is essentially an original yeah, story for, yeah. for Hellboy. It's not an adaptation of any particular arc. It, it takes bits and pieces, of course it does, from from various things in Hellboy. But yeah, I really like Roger. Roger's a great shout. And he does actually appear in the first one in the background. As like, in, like in case yeah, was, he's in both of them, I think. In the he's in the second one as well, yeah. 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 I, haven't, I haven't seen Golden Army in a while, but yeah, he, I remember him definitely mm. being in the first one and being like, ah, yeah, like before we had Howard the Duck in the collector's room in Guardians of the Galaxy, you had <laughs> Roger the Homunculus hanging out in the back of a Hellboy thing, like, oh, mm. yeah. Um, not to tie it back into the MCU too much, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like having that. And like you said, tying it in with Liz's pyrokinesis and, and having it kind of like, taking away her powers and going through a similar thing as a rogue and coming to terms with like what her life means, not being a member of the BPRD and her becoming a mother. And that ties on all nicely with like her journey as a person of where does she see herself? Like she can't be going off on these dangerous missions, fighting demons pregnant or as a new mother or should she, or maybe Hellboy becomes stay at home demon dad like that's that that's a great thing i i really like the idea of being able to use that as a jumping off point to explore those characters from where they're left off in hellboy 2 that's a really interesting idea and i think we should, it's worth noting we've, we've praised you know uh ron perlman a lot obviously and um doug jones for his kind of uh both his vocal and his body performance yeah. <laughs> um but selma blair is great in this film oh, she's, fantastic. she's, yeah. she's really yeah. good she's just 
she manages to take a character who could could be quite one note and could be just slightly kind of uh the nagging girlfriend in some cases um and just makes her a lot more interesting i th- i agree i think she she on paper is the typical bland female accompaniment and then but obviously the way the character is written in the film and the way the character is full stop she's actually very very complex very um the way she's played in that she doesn't want the life she does want the life she doesn't want to belong she does belong it's it doesn't feel rote it doesn't feel nagging it feels genuinely conflicted Mm. and the fact that she's also kind of uh with i should say hellboy Mm. who at times is a fucking 20 year old sometimes he's a teenager sometimes he's a mature 30 year old he tries to do the right thing but he's a selfish git and yeah. i think that's something that you do it's it's again that's why i was talking about when i was you know 20 when the first film came out 24 and the second film came out i was the perfect age to watch them because i thought to myself oh yeah yeah that's me i didn't i need to i need to i need to fucking grow up a little bit um and it's not you know saying change your life because i'm clearly not because i have you know uh, I'm surrounded by fucking toys um, <laughs> and comics. So I didn't actually change from when I was 20 years old, but you mature. And that's kind of the point. You can see an evolution of character. And the same thing can be said for, for Liz as well. She, she doesn't necessarily need to mature. She's already mature. She's, she's the adult of the group. Mm. Um, and yet at the same time, she, they, they say so much about the nature of prejudice with her as well, because on the surface, she's the one that can in inverted commas blend in with the public. Mm. because she is a white human lady and therefore she's not a giant demon or a, a gas man trapped in a <laughs> underwater breathing suit thing or... or a gas man you mean a guy called terry who drives a van yes yeah there's <laughs> the old gas man terry <laughs> or a giant fish monster <laughs> yeah and the fact that she 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 looks like she belongs but doesn't and she's an outsider and that's the kind of thing i think resonates with the audience and she conveys it very well and, and to tie back into tim that's x-men as fuck that is X-Men as fuck. That's, that's entirely right. I'm going to kick it off because you can sum up my pitch in a few words. I'm doing the 2019 film, but good. That's my plan. So It's a good plan. Yeah. So the, what the, 20, the 2019 film, funnily enough, is based on a bunch of the comics. And spoiler alert... It's based on the one where Hellboy dies. And I don't mean that one when Hellboy dies. I mean when Hellboy <laughs> dies, dies. Hellboy dead. Mm-hmm. Heart ripped out dead. And then they did Hellboy and Hell, which was fucking great. But I did think about doing Hellboy from Hellboy and Hell. And I, and I maybe want to do a little tweak where, like, my, my pitch as I have it now is the first, like, half an hour. <laughs> and then the other hour and a half is Hellboy and Hell and blah, blah, blah. But we'll get to that. So, mm. the storm and the fury is the final part of the wild hunt arc, which is like a, a whole thing about the the end of the world, basically. Um, mm. Surprise, surprise! It's Hellboy, and I've added and tweaked a few little things, but it is essentially what happens in the 2019 film. It's Arthurian legend. It's Excalibur. It's Hellboy is a descendant of Arthur and is the only one who can wield blah blah blah. The the Blood Queen. Uh, Nimue is like the the evil lady of the lake turned blood queen and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's kind of that, but slightly different. So I want to keep it closer to the comics. Uh, 
you've got all of that stuff. So Hellboy is a descendant of Arthur. It's mostly set in Ireland and England. You're welcome, Matthew. It's, it's got yeah. plenty of Irish people in there. So <laughs> obviously I'm keeping all the cast from the last two films. Uh, as the Lady of the Lake slash the Queen of Blood, I'd like to bring on Charlize Theron because she's amazing and fantastic. I thought about um, Kate Blanchett, but I thought it'd be maybe a bit too like Hella from uh, Ragnarok, a bit too kind of like mm. I am an evil queen kind of thing. <laughs> Um, I mean, Charlize Theron has done the two Snow White films. Oh, I have not seen either of those, and I refuse to see either of those. So she's very it. good as Evil Queen. She uh, she can absolutely play that part. <laughs> I refuse. Uh, I, I I both agree and disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Is she the best thing about those terrible films? <laughs> no, I, in my opinion, I think she can definitely play an Evil Queen. Um, I don't like what she did with this particular Evil Queen. <laughs> That's how I would describe it. There's only well, a couple of those moments. No, not to sp- not to spoil my many. pitch, but she's not evil the whole time. So there, there, <laughs> there'll be a twist where she has to switch it on. So um, sure. there's a in the in the story, and this, this is going to get real. I hope you're ready for the weirdness of Hellboy, ladies and gentlemen, because if you don't know Hellboy, <laughs> people know what she, they sign up she's for. She's going to get weird. There is a disgraced Irish fairy. Because that's a phrase. <laughs> who is in the body of like a pig monster? For some reason, he's like a giant hog, like on all, like an anthropomorphic pig man. Yep. Um, Grugach is his name. He's he's in the 2019 film. Like I said, um, I'm I'm keeping him Irish. I'm going for a bit of Brendan Gleeson because I love Brendan Brendan Gleeson. Um, and to complete the kind of Irish side of things, there is a young witch called Alice Monaghan, uh, and I would like to play by a very young Saoirse Ronan. So I love me some Saoirse Ronan. Uh, bear in mind, I'm doing this in 2010, so Del Toro can still do my thing pitch in 2011, so everything's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got enough time to finish Hellboy 2, do this film, do my thing, and then also do Pacific Rooms. So everything's fine. <laughs> the timeline is complete. He's just very fucking busy for like six years in a row. <laughs> yeah, cut to sequelizer series 11. Okay, 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 okay. I know we've said we've used him 20 times in the past, but if we bring Del Toro in for this three-month gap, he can do it. <laughs> I do, I would love to see like a complete sequelizer's rewritten timeline of like how oh God, the, the alternate history because <laughs> we, we've used a couple of similar actors and directors from mm. throughout the years of doing we've been doing the show for three years like we're gonna have some crossovers of doing stuff like sure. that so yeah i'd be very interested to see like oh it turns out you cast i don't know wh- whoever like Brad Pitt is in your <laughs> like 17 of your total of 50 <laughs> films or whatever it is like yeah that, that'd be very interesting to see and build mm. like a, a new del toro timeline based on our various <laughs> pitches and stuff like that that'd be interesting um mm. getting away from that side of things touching on hellboy's origins a bit more and hellboy's parents azael is his demon father mm. I'm bringing in some Philip Seymour goddamn motherfucking Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah. All-time great. I think it's mostly a vocal performance. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um and we'll 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 touch upon that, but yeah. Oh. He he's a he is a demon, but we'll we'll get to that. Um and his mother is an English witch because Hellboy. Uh I, I'm going for some Kate Winslet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So kind of, you know, similar sort of age, like 40s, 50s kind of uh, 
they're adults. This this isn't his birth. We're not going all the way back to, like you know, we've had his origin story already. Let's not do that again, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We like with Spider Man, we know the origin story of Hellboy. We've seen it from Deltor already. Let's not. We don't need to see his birth from that bullshit. True. So his mum, Sarah, played by Kate Winslet, and Azael's brother, a demon called Astaroth, which is a fucking great demonic name. It's a good name. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like someone out of Warcraft or something like that. Um, I think it's one out of the Bible, actually. I'm sure it is. I'm sure they they all are or, pretty you much know, related. <laughs> all the demons are from the Bible. We'll have some flashback stuff establishing Sarah and Azael have them uh, kind of after Hellboy is born, but they're discussing it. So Hellboy is originally born on Earth, but is claimed basically by the demons of Hell, and it causes essentially a split between the parents. Azael claims him and takes him back to Hell with him and all this kind of stuff. We also find out that Hellboy is a descendant of Arthur, again, in the 2019 film. Um, and he travels to England, fights some cool monsters. Having said that, the 2019 film, the battle with the giants and stuff in England, it's, it's fine, well, that kind of thing, but done by Del Toro and way better direction and more interesting. <laughs> Have him fight some generic monsters to get like a, a cold opening kind of thing sure, going. Because sure. I love a good cold open. <laughs> Um, in his adventures in England, he'll meet Alice and meet Gruagach, and basically they'll become his like new companions. And you're like, well, where the fuck is everyone else? This is weird. He's on his own. Hmm. Uh, turns out he's been having visions, and basically the vision we see the the opening thing we see at the beginning of his parents is him having visions of like being called back to his homeland. Basically, it turns out Hellboy's English because <laughs> why not? Fuck it. And we've uh, been around for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he learns of in some way learns of his ancestry of Arthur and he's he's a descendant of Arthur and goes to meet the Lady of the Lake. Yep. Yep. Played by <laughs> Charlize Theron, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who tells him only a descendant of Arthur can wield Excalibur, blah blah blah. And he gets a vision of Basically, him ruling hell as like the new Satan, the new Archduke of Hell, wielding this super scary, powerful looking sword thing. And he realizes, like, which again, kind of true to the 2019 film, he unleashes the demons of hell if he wields Excalibur and all this kind of stuff. Eventually, the Lady of the Lake is revealed to be the Queen of Blood, turns out to be the bad guy, and Gruagak is her like minion, basically. And mm-hmm. he's gone through trying to summon her. And she is revealed as she used to be Merlin's lover and apprentice and has like yes. stolen yes. all of his magical powers mm-hmm. and is now queen of the witches, basically. She's the queen of blood, queen of the witches, and is also Lady of the Lake. Yeah. Hellboy and Co. fight Nimue and are unable to kill her. Alice is eventually able to access the lake now that the Lady of the Lake is gone and give Hellboy Excalibur, hinting at maybe Alice is a descendant of Arthur as well. But mm. mm-hmm. um, Hellboy eventually kills her, and this is where it ties into the comics at the end of the Fury, I think it is. Um, as she dies, well, first one in the comics, she transforms into a dragon, which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so fuck it, we'll do that. She's transformed by one of the 
um god what are the lovecraftian things ogdruhem the, of ogdruhem ogdruhem yeah. yeah which is the big multi lovecraftian squidly diddlies in the first film they're like the big lovecraftian bad guys of the whole hellboy series mm. so yeah, yeah. Right. as tim mentioned earlier it gets lovecraftian as fuck Mm. and she transformed she's forcibly transformed by one of them because they're like the gods of chaos or something and uh, yeah it's a lot of it's 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 been a while and it's a lot of stuff she's transformed into a dragon she's eventually defeated by hellboy and alice teaming up and yeah when she's defeated she refuses to go to hell alone rips hellboy's heart out his big flaming heart um and throws it down into hell as she descends into hell, basically. Mm-hmm. And Hellboy plummets to hell. And like as he awakens in hell, essentially, he sees Astaroth, his uncle, wielding Excalibur as the new Archduke of Hell. Because mm-hmm. in is in Azile's absence and Hellboy's absence, he is now the ruler of hell. So we end it on like a are we setting up for Hellboy and Hell kind of moment, mm-hmm. or are we not? And you had to, you had. I, I don't think we touched on your casting for Astaroth. Mm. Oh, mm, sorry. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We just talked about the cool name and stuff. Mm. Um, <laughs> for Astaroth, I cast J.K. Simmons because yeah, nice. J.K. Again, Simmons good, great is great. Voice. Mm. Yeah, powerful voice. I imagine he's like super hench, like he was for Gordon for some reason. Do you remember when he got like super ripped for apparently like eight seconds of footage? Like he was secretly training for my film that was never made. So yeah, that's why. Um, I mean, I, I I presumed maybe wrongly this would actually be a a CGI thing like Serta in uh, Thor Ragnarok, where it's mm. Clancy Brown, genius casting for that voice. Mm. Where but it's a, a CGI. I think it would kind of have to be. Yeah. yeah, it would kind of have to be something like that. So, But then Del Toro might do practical effects, making yeah. it amazing. Who fucking knows? That's me tweaking the 2019 film and making it tie yeah. more yeah. into mm-hmm. the Del Toro stuff. The problem with this is it doesn't really address Liz or the other crew in any way, and I couldn't really think of a way to make it work. I think there is something you could do to make it like Hellboy's got to go off on one last mission. He's having these visions he can't help himself like mm. and maybe frozen two is what you're describing yes basically <laughs> he just is ah. like a, a, a really gregorian chant i mean given that it exactly. ties into his heritage you could easily have it be something where like in order to make sure that Liz can like give birth safely to you know their their spawn, uh, you know he <laughs> needs he needs to start exploring his past and find out mm. you know where he came from and that can you know how, send him how do demon babies work? Let's find out, shall we? <laughs> um, yeah, Have you seen so, a bit of Men in Black where the tentacles come out and was messed up as a baby? Yeah, that. Yeah, so you could even have him kind of confront. Astaroth or or Azael in in mm. some way and and mm. talk to them and kind of work that out as well. But I really enjoyed the comic and the way they did that and had him kind of be this Arthurian legend turned and then actually killed him off and he descended into hell. And again, spoiler alert: Hellboy from Hell is ten issues long and it finishes and that is Hellboy done. That is the yes. end of Hellboy as we know it. Basically, Mignola was like, "That is it." It was like three Which is a great or four way years to ago now, things. I think. Like, yeah. 
we've had him explore hell and battle through hell and now we're done and hellboy is yeah this is this is the and it's a really cool like poignant ending it's a really quiet i think the last few pages are entirely silent and it's just hellboy walking through the landscape of hell and like settling down in this weird little cottage in the bleak landscape of the underworld and like yeah it's 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 real weird and and creepy and bleak because i think a thing that the like the opposite of del toro is a lot of mignola's work is just pitch black bleakness mm-hmm. that's kind of a signature style of his like 60 to 70 percent of the page is just the color black mm-hmm. and there's like most characters are like 40 percent shadow and you'll see like oh the red of the the right hand of doom or yeah, like yeah. horns sticking out of the shadows or the blue of abe sapien or whatever mm-hmm. um but yeah i i I don't know if you guys have got any ideas about how to improve this, but I want to keep the former BPRD crew in there somewhere. Mm. They could just go with him, I guess, but that just feels a bit kind of, I feel like maybe they would insist on coming with him or something. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to leave them on the shelf because I love Liz and Abe mm. and Johan and the crew, but yeah. Well, don't worry because as I'm going third, we'll probably marry all these things fucking together. Yay! <laughs> I, I would say my only yeah. issue with uh, your plot is that you've got it in 2010 and the comics that you're ad- uh, doing an adaptation of don't finish until 2011. Oh, yeah. The I'm, only thing yeah. I can think it would work is because it's one of the things like, uh, like Akira um, mm. in the 80s, which the film or came Scott out. Scott Pilgrim. Yes. <laughs> yeah, where the films came out before the stories were published. Yeah. Um, yes, because I'm sure which again, Mignola and knew where he was going. And that's the thing. And because the creator is involved with it, it's fine. Like Otomo doing Akira. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's mine. So <laughs> I'll do my own thing. It's different, but I'll do my own thing. Um, which is why as much as I adore Akira, um, it's not the it's not the comic in or the manga in, in the slightest. But yeah, Scott Pilgrim, similar sort of thing. Mm. But uh yeah, I think with Mignola around, I think you're right. I think it's it's, it's one of those issues like, oh, that's a problem. And it's also like... It's not an insurmountable problem. No, I think the amount of people who'd be pissed off about it aren't that many. No. So, if we're if we're quite happy for me to do my third one, just because I think it would might address, because I think Jack and I have very similar pitches, as it were, or fixes, mm, sure. shall we say. Get, get stuck in, Matt. Uh, mine's 2011, problems old. No, I didn't do 20... Oh, boy, four, fuck you. I, I did 2010 as well. Um, so yes, 2010, uh, Guillermo del Toro as director. Big shocker now, but that's what we went with. Um, You're recasting Hellboy. <laughs> recasting everything. Um, I'm dare. making it stop motion. Um, Ooh. Stop motion could work, actually. A Leica film would be interesting. God, that would take ages. <laughs> it would be ridiculous, but uh, it would be interesting. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out some cast names that won't mean anything until later. Um... In a similar way to Jack, where Jack has salvaged a lot of the plot and made it work, I've salvaged the cast and make them work in a different story. <laughs> um, I also have an Azale Sarah Hughes, i.e. mother-father thing for Hellboy moment. Mm. I've decided Azale will be playing by David Harbour in 2010. Um, and what Sarah was David Harbour doing in 2010? Because oh, that's pre-Stranger stuff. He? Yeah, but he, 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 that's, the point, that's the point. I mean, they'll... Del Toro has always used relatively unknown individuals as it is. So mm. you're like, oh, really? That's a weird choice. And it's like, dude uses like Tom Hiddleston, Jessica Chastain. You're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. And it's like, who, who's your bad guy? Luke Goss, the guy from Bros. Yeah. <laughs> 
I guess just looking at David Harbison, like I hadn't really paid attention to him, but he's been a character actor in a bunch of stuff. Like he's in Brokeback Mountain, he's in War of the Worlds, he's in Quantum of Solace, he's in Revolutionary yeah. Road, as you just mentioned. Like, oh yeah. Mm. And then he shows up in like Green Hornet in 2011. I'm like, oh yeah, he yeah. is in that. He's, How he's weird. in Suicide Squad. And I was like, is he? He's like, yes, yeah, he works yeah, with Waller. And you're like, that's one trouble. He's around. It's just the fact that when people become consciously aware of an actor, they're like, oh God, he was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now yes. he's going out with Lily Allen, which is still the weirdest thing in the world to me. It's not, I think Florence Pugh and Zach Braff is weirder. Woody Allen and his daughter? <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> I think they're all weird, but yes. Florence Pugh and Zach Braff is unusual. Up there as fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. So I'd, I'd have David Harbour and Mila Jovovich as these characters, but they're very small roles in this thing. The, the two large roles I was going to get was um, Kate Corrigan, played by Vera Farmiga, and Landis Pope, played by Daniel Day Kim. Uh, Daniel Kim being in the Hellboy film. Uh, Vera Farmiga not being in that. Yeah, because Daniel Day Kim is Damio in the, the mm. 2019 film, isn't he? The, yeah. yeah. And Which was almost going to go to Ed Screen, I think. Correct. And then and he dropped out because he realised it was it was an Asian character and he was like, yeah. whoa. So good on you, Ed Screen. Yeah. Well done. Proud of you, man. Incidentally, I should point out, Landis Pope, I Pretty sure he's just a white dude, but I've made him Asian because I wanted to, so fuck it. I don't think anyone have a complaint about that, no one really care. Um in the same way that uh when they made when they cast Ben Kingsley in Iron Man 3, I was very upset because the Mandarin is just is just a white bloke. Oh no, wait, that's not what they all said. They were upset that he was a comic like wacky comedy character. <laughs> Nobody was bothered that he was a white guy, because people are terrible. So yeah. yeah, nobody will care if Landis Pope is no. an Asian dude. It doesn't matter. No one, no one will care. And 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 spoiler alert, might not matter for a lot of it anyway because <laughs> of like CGI and makeup and stuff. So classically, yeah. yes. <laughs> Welcome to Hellboy, motherfuckers. Also, Daniel Day Kim is a good actor. <laughs> Daniel Day Kim is a great actor. Daniel Day Kim is really good. Fucking great. Yeah. Um, massively underused in almost everything he's in. I think people at this point would go, oh. The guy from Lost, mm-hmm. which at that point would have been winding down or just ended, I want to say. It would be over by then. Thank God. <laughs> um, We're in a post-Lost world. It's all I, much in the same way as uh, we discussed about the Golden Army, but bringing it back a little bit more to the first Hellboy film, referencing Hellboy stuff without actually adapting it straight. So, for example, the story bits I'm pulling on a lot of them come from uh bprd comics as opposed to the the hellboy run specifically some of it anyway so i would actually would do what jack didn't do i i i I would show an introduction sequence that talks about um hellboy i'd have it narrated by john hurt saying Mm -hmm. about oh the boy came to me and i was an old young man and i was his father and then it would say but i'm not his real father and then it would say, we must go back to the early 1600s. And then it would talk about this witch who made a bond. It's not with bad the, John the, Hurt, by the way. It was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it would go back to um, it, to the 1600s with this witch, well, this girl, basically, um, Sarah Hughes, played by Mila Jovovich, who makes a pact with a demon. And then... As you do. Yeah. And, Hellboy, and then this, you know. on her deathbed, going to the 
saying to the church, I renounce it. I was a stupid kid. I shouldn't have done that. And at that point, her partner, Azale, turns up and is set sort of almost like almost like a task saying, if you can stop me coming for her, then that's fine, priest and nun. Go for it, motherfuckers. Uh, but she's mine. She cast her name from the book. She's mine. I'm taken out of hell. Fuck you. Um, and then he burns the thing down, takes her corpse to hell um, and says, you are going to basically give birth to what he's known as his favorite, i.e. his son. Um, and the process obviously being that she is still human. The process kills her and Hellboy is born. He then cuts off Hellboy's hand and attaches the red right hand of doom, the, the, the rock arm, as it were. And there's a huge thing about all these demons being furious at this Duke of Hell for doing this, but Hellboy is sent away without unbeknownst to everybody else, and Azale is imprisoned in ice. And then we get the whole, and he sort of gestated for thir- uh, for 300 years until Rasputin pulled him out of the uh, of the vortex as well. And he sort of accidentally came through to the other side um, and then to Broom. Again, because this I is think, from the comics. So Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. This, I think... This check. Yeah. And I think that's the point. It's just to say... Th- very much the case of this is the story you know and this is the things you don't know uh, and more importantly while we're doing a sort of picking bits and pieces from from the comics it's mostly continuing the narrative that is established in the last few moments or the, the general overarching view of of the of the previous film this is films plural after that we didn't choose kate corrigan um and she's this new york professor who is working as a sort of like uh uh, a liaison between the BPRD and the public and things that kind of like Manning, but better, basically. There's more public awareness of what the BPRD mm. do, um, and so on and so forth. And she has managed to get Hellboy back on one thing and one thing only. They will leave BPRD, and then it's the case of like, right, Liz is pregnant. How do we safely do this? What nobody knows what to expect. We can't go to a hospital. What do we do? And say, so, well, there's only one place with the facilities, and it's like, oh god damn and they have to go back to bprd because it's the refuge of it's it's effectively it's their home it's what they know it they'll always and there's like moments of that in the first two films are like we always end up back here that's that's unfortunate how it works um so uh in doing so um kate corrigan this time is a bit of a you know folklore expert has been uh studying all this stuff fills hellboy in on a lot of his own history and says about the whole nature of the uh, anung rama stuff being the, the the son of this duke of hell anung rama <laughs> being the being the son of Azale and all this sort of stuff. And I think Vera Farmiga can give a lot of weight to that sort of delivery of nonsense, basically. <laughs> and says that in order to do this, we don't know what's going to happen. You're basically going to need to know what happens. You're going to go and need to you know, find your father. And he's like, many men have called themselves my father and I've told them all to get lost. Well, I had my father and he died. And it's like, yeah, but this is science and biology. You got your actual dad. Yeah, you need to, you need to do this, and it's like if you want to become a father, you need to step up and do this. And that, that again, the classically Hellboy being told from one two onwards, you need to step up and do what you don't want to do. Anyway, so the he goes off on hero his, arc, basically, yeah. pr- precisely, and he goes off on this quest on his own, and he's separate from this, and it's a horrible, tragic sort of like knight's tale kind of thing of like I have to leave this person behind, and she's like, I get it. I'll be fine. And he's like, I don't, I can't protect you from this. I don't, and she's just, I don't need you to protect me from this. I'm just going to give birth to a baby somehow. All of these babies, plural. And that's kind of the point. It's that they're them working at their, at their best together and they have to separate. And it's an awful thing for both of them. Anyway, at the same time this is happening, 
Manning, sort of trying to reinforce itself, coordinates with the Zinco Corporation under its new CEO, Landis Pope, who provides all new tech for BPRD. So now they're a more public company and they're a bit more publicly conscious. They want all this. It's almost like a hammer thing from uh, from from Iron Man 2, you know? Mm. It's like, we're going to give you all this new tech. Or with less Great. Sam Rockwell dancing, unfortunately. A little less Sam Rockwell dancing, more more um, Daniel Day Kim being suave and badass. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> less, maybe, maybe it deserves a shuffle, who knows? Um, so they do... They do they do this because Manning says to 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 Abe and a few others, we're doing this because eventually Liz and Hellboy aren't going to be here. And they don't, it's mm. not like at loggerheads with them anymore because mm. they make a lot of closure and distance, uh, a progress between the characters, between the films. And he very much comes to the conclusion of, that, I mean, they quit and they only come back because they have to. We need to get a new thing going and this is how we do it. We, we, you know, we bring on the people like Myers was years ago and make them better. Mm. That kind of thing. Anyway. Um, then... At that moment, there's this, the next thing for BPRD to deal with, which is a plague of Lovecraftian frog monsters. A little bit like the Samael kind of beasts in, in the first film. A lot of practical effects and that kind of thing. Um, but much like the Golden Army, there's lots of the fuckers. Um, and they emerge in, in New York and the BPRD agents have to deal with it and so on and so forth. Um, uh, that is a BPRD comic, by the way, folks. It is. BPRD, Plague of Frogs, one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, I've drawn on BPRD more than Hellboy, I think, in this. Because I think that's I kind love of, the BPRD books. So but much. I think that they're the police procedural mindset. They they do they lend are, themselves yeah. more to yeah. yeah. So at this point, Liz wants to get involved and she's like Evan's like, well no, you can't like, you can't keep me here. She starts kind of almost flaming on. It's like, well, actually, we we have to keep you here because you're not safe for anybody else anywhere else. That kind of thing. Constant thing with Liz. She's a nuke. She, you have to really contain mm. her, as it were. Her health starts to wane. She wants to be more involved in the field. We cut back to Hellboy defend, descending into, not necessarily hell, but searching out this frozen ice thing that is his father. He confronts Azale, uh, learns a lot about himself in the, in, the, in the thing, but reinforcing that Broom is his true father. Um, they, he gets the information he needs, whatever it needs to be for the safe birth and all the bits and pieces. It would probably be a very prolonged, um, mystical, magical, MacGuffin-y kind of thing. You need to do this performance. You need to have this relic and that kind of thing. And yeah. Yada, yada, yada. The coals of the fire of whatever kind of shit you know and i'm picturing something close to the uh the deal that they do with death uh in the golden army god that's a great fucking scene it um, is good yeah <laughs> yeah no, again doug jones amazing doug jones yeah, yeah. is and there a I big think... creepy spindly monster guess who's playing it it's <laughs> doug jones and the angel of death uh, uh, funny enough weird enough i was reading up about the second one mm. and doug jones said oh the angel of death is a woman and I'm, I'm, I play her as a female character, mm. and I, I, I adjusted my voice and my movements and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, that's a really interesting way of like twisting and shaping your performance in a way that basically only Doug Jones can <laughs> to, <laughs> to play this other, other gendered, bizarre, yeah, angel of death, Del Toro monster with a giant, <laughs> I don't know, crest face. I don't know how you describe that, but. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So we have this whole sequence. And again, I'm obviously brushing over a lot of important things here. But, you know, big fight scene happens. Big, like, you know, we're talking like um, his 12 foot behemoth father, but because he's been encased in ice for so long, he's not strong. It's not like a, it's not an easy match for a Hellboy, but it's not the big fight, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And him defeating his father feels like a little bit like, oh, this was a bit um, surprisingly easy, shall we say. Because the, the red right hand is a thing that can stop demons, basically. It's like a, 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It can, and we come it back can, to, oh, basically... why did you give me this? And I, I did it so you can protect you against, like, yeah. against what? Me, if I came after you, anything, mm. I don't know, yeah. that kind of thing. Basically, I, I'm imagining they would battle fairly evenly, and then Hellboy punches him, and that, like, draws blood <laughs> for the first time or something like it's, that. And he's like, crack oh, the horn oh, kind of thing. Yes. Oh, fuck, mm. I gave him the, the weapon that can kill me kind of thing. Yeah. And that deep, deep David Arbor boy kind of voice almost <laughs> would be like, uh, Christopher Judge. There you go. Yeah. It would be either he like crack the horn, boy, um, and then it would again cut from that straight back to ah oh, crap because it would be <laughs> just the the light hearted way of doing it. It would feel very appropriate for what we're doing, and that'd be good. Mm. Then you cut back to the other storyline, which would be revealed that Zinko previously outfitted Kurtz, Cronin, and Rasputin, and he's actually been providing or his company under his his father and so on and so forth or the previous head. It won't get his father just for, for familial connections to go with the overarching theme of fathers, but the idea of um, the thing that summoned Hellboy into the world, all the machines set up by the Nazis and stuff, were actually provided by the Zinko Corporation. You're like, oh, fucking hell. And it's all been a bit of a thing, and they strong ties to the Thule Society, and then um, Pope has his own exosuit um, to, to sort of control the frog demons, and it turns out that he's been the one who's summoning them, as it were, or trying to control them. And he's got this big black sort of exo mech suit, as it were. Not exactly a mech suit, but yeah. You know, <laughs> um, mech and suit! It, and this almost helmet feature, basically, which is a big black skull, which is flaming with these blue flames, which is the uh, the other alias of Landis Pope, the Black Flame. Uh, I think it'll be just a good visual alongside Abe Sapien and reflecting in, like, you know, Johann Krauss's helmet and all that sort of stuff. And maybe we'd have... Um, uh, Roger in as well, especially considering in the comics, I want to say um, the Black Flame kills Roger. Ah, uh, um, yes, he does. He does. Yep. Yeah, he does yeah. indeed. Um, and so things like I wouldn't want to bring Roger in just to kill him off. that I think it might be more appropriate if he. Mm, I don't know if he's killing him off. Seems a bit obvious, but it's the third film. I want to feel like this will be the last one. Maybe he kind of kills Kraus. That kind of thing, you know. Anyway, point is. Or Abe? Dare we? Dare we kill off Abe Sapien? Nah, I don't kill nah, Abe. Can't kill Abe. <laughs> He's my favourite, but no. Can't, can't kill Abe. Um, Fun fact, so, one of my all-time favourite comic book characters, Abe Sapien. It's because he's awesome. He's, 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 he's very cool. His solo series are fucking... I recommend it if you enjoyed him from the, from the films. His solo series is fucking great mm. as well. So we reveal the Black Flame's plan that he wants to summon one of the Ogdruhem because we've got them back in the first film and they don't come back again. It's like, what they're like, you know, they're individual named chaotic mm. demons, specifically Cathahem who uh, it was their first appearance in all the BPRD comics, who's the frogs, so they're the harbingers of, of The him. giant Lovecraftian squids and little frog monster yeah. thing. Yeah. And this thing does come through the portal because Hellboy isn't there and BPRD aren't always enough to stop him exactly um, in, in their current form. And they do their best with the, with the on-the-ground stuff. But with an ancient elder god, th there's nothing you can do unless you have something of equal you know, footing, as it were. And this thing is proper... This would be, I think, Del Toro leaning into an early Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim, yeah. Mm. So this yeah. is kaiju. It's just, this, it's just I mean, it's, it's literally going to be like, it's like we, fought, we fought this huge 20-foot forest creature. That's cool. Now you have to fight this very, very different thing rampaging through this New York. Like, mm. 200 feet tall, 300 feet tall. This is a yeah. fucking skyscraper yeah. on top of a skyscraper built out of squids and frogs. Yeah, and then you've got Manning saying, go on, team, go! And then you've got Abe Sapien saying, I'm speak many languages and i can sense many things but i'm not going to, be able to do anything with this and and whoever else is left on the team would be like we've got these pistols that don't work 
what do you want us to do? And that's mm. the thing. It's like, we need Hellboy. Like, we can't always need Hellboy. We have to be able to stand on our own, etc. Anyway, at that moment, Catherham is summoned and, uh, towards Pope. And I love the idea that Pope, in, in classic, classic Cthulhu mindset, Pope's like, I have done it. And he's, you know, put this, this, this visage of who he is. This, this, he's built his entire empire up and he's put on this exosuit to, to, to control the frogs. And the, the, the god isn't controllable. God doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he assumes it's because if I'm going to summon it and I'm going to be able to control it and I will rule the world. It's like, no, you're kind of just the, the turning the light on to like the lighthouse to summon it. Mm. And when it gets there, it's going to rampage through everything, including you. So he gets kind of almost unceremoniously wiped the fuck out. Because Lannis Pope starts off with, uh, as you said, with like an exosuit style thing. Mm -hmm. And then he does do, he becomes an actual like, like, it so, possesses so, things and he's yeah, his own he becomes stuff, yeah. possessed by one of the frog god frog monsters or something. And, I must say so, yeah. And the 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 flame head actually becomes a real thing. Basically, think like a a e even more evil kind of version of Ghost Rider, where he's like effectively a, a flaming skull on top of a like a exosuit body kind of thing. And yeah, he goes from like oh, it's technology to eventually it becomes an actual thing. I think he gets cursed or whatever it is. Or yes, exactly. accidentally performs a ritual to a Lovecraftian monster. <laughs> yeah. And I think we'd have that moment where he'd be like, oh, I can control this with my technology because I'm an arrogant human. And then his face explodes in flame and... Yeah, <laughs> Precisely. That would be cool. And then he's just another pawn, basically, and a conduit. Um, and then Hellboy returns. Things go well. Fights happen. Uh, banishments, blah, blah, blah. Um, big epic climactic showdown. Um... <laughs> Stuff I love with... action in our pitches. And the big great fight happens next. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, at this point, I it's, know, it's, yeah. in these very loose pitches, it's not worth discussing, but you're right. Well, I mean, and, even, um, even in our main pitches, it's like, yeah. that's true. <laughs> do you want me to describe it? Punch him. And Hellboy punches the big monster, and the big monster swipes back, and Hellboy dodges, and then he Hellboy reloads shoots. his big gun. Yeah. And then he punches with the big, the big thing with his big red hand, and yep. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't read it. A car chase in a book has to be a really well written car chase. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever read a car chase. I don't think of it. It's very interesting. I'm trying to think of it. That's the thing that I've yeah. ever done. So basically, yeah. And then it comes to this conclusion of the, the, the general consensus is him being ready to effectively take over BPRD in a more consulting role, um, as opposed to being just the the the, the main uh, what's the, the the vanguard of the of the of the the fleet as it were being the the first pilot <laughs> the, in the fist yeah, being the fist yes exactly Be, being the, <laughs> the maverick of top gun it's like you're still a pilot how and why are you still just the same pilot you were 30 <laughs> yeah. years ago mate you should be an admiral by now that kind of thing um and, and he does notes that it's not it's the forced maturity of like, no, you need to lead this team in the first film. It's like, no, you need to be the man you are. You need to be what you actually are. You need to yada, yada, yada. And this is now, you need to become broom. You need to be able to gather the necessary people to fight the thing. Because while Manning is good at certain things, and while even Corrigan is good at certain things, that needs to happen. And Liz needs this from you and so on and so forth. And ends with the babies being born, etc. through this ridiculous ceremony with fucking... Uh, alchemic circles and all kinds of you know shit and, and then the next one is basically like Shrek forever after and there's a bunch of demon babies <laughs> I don't want them. to be a daddy exactly oh no <laughs> I'll go to hell um, and I think that would be open up to I'd if watch they the fuck to out of Shrek in hell for the record <laughs> Shrek is hell Shrek um, is, Shrek is hell Shrek is life oh, that, 
that sounds like 2020 all over to be fair um <laughs> and i would say that opens up rather than having ever any more film versions i would say that opens up then to a tv bprd series mm. um uh, which is strongly linked, and then you get like some cameos from right Ron Perlman and and the kids, for example, the twins, which would grow up a lot faster, that kind of thing. Because so. mm. we know Doug Jones does TV stuff; he's in Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery, he's yeah. fantastic yeah. as Saroon Discovery. Saroon like, should be the captain. That's all I'm saying. He's, he's the best. He's the best. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I said, Abe Sapien's my favorite. Saroon's my favorite. Doug Jones, keep on doing what he's, you're doing, man. He's, you're he's the best. your favorite. He's the best. He's appreciated by our, by the people now, so I think he does actually get the roles he needs. Which yeah, is good. Yeah. But then you know, I don't want to sound flippant. He's getting old as well. He's getting mm. a little older. So yeah. you always worry. Oh, it's like he's, he's not. He, he's not like ancient by any means. He's sixty, and it's like that's not like old at all, really. But it's like, yeah. But for can't for keep... a very physical actor, that's you know, yes. that's going to start. The physicality wearing. becomes different, obviously, and the makeup becomes different. Precisely, and he doesn't really. And I can't say he doesn't look his age because he obviously is always wearing fucking makeup. But he doesn't look his age. Um... <laughs> he's often bald and or covered in layers of makeup <laughs> and prosthetics and stuff. And has been a very thin, bald man for the last, as long as I've ever seen him. <laughs> mm. I'd like to see him do a bit of a Claude Rains or, or a Lon Chaney where the, the um, performances evolve into him playing like an old president or something. It's like, what, 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 what's the physical performance? What's his, what's, his, what's his catch? What's his makeup? It's like, no, no, no. He just plays a president. It's like, <laughs> what, what Were there do you any mean? presidents that were like, Oh no, not a real Six one. Six and a half feet tall and, <laughs> <laughs> and the gangliest person you've ever seen in your life? George... H.W. Bush? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. I know, but I'm like a, like a fictional one, like, like a, a Bartlett. Oh, kind of I thing. see what you mean. Right. Yes, you weren't talking like biopic. Nah. <laughs> no, no. I mean like like an evil president. Ooh, okay. Or I could see, documentary. I could see Doug Jones is evil Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Evil Lincoln. Tim makes valid points of give Mignola and Del Toro the wheel and let them do something that's in the universe maybe nods to certain bits and pieces doesn't have to be an exact adaptation jack's taken that and gone said yes and we can take the thing that we've done in 2019 which is a mignola creation um and tweak it and make it good and i don't know what the bprd would be doing at the time but it'd be the same thing but it's he's on a sort of vision quest with his dad and then there's my thing it's like vision quest with the dad to tie in with the whole i'm becoming a father thing and the bprd are dealing with this other guy who's trying out for thing and the company is becoming a new thing in itself and it's like oh it all kind of bleeds into this story and the thing is it's it's i think the, the way that del toro and everybody worked on the first two especially how the second one evolves the themes are so present of mm. like prejudice and fitting in and responsibilities and all these bits pieces and identity obviously as well and and so much with family and all that kind of stuff with the nature of what is family what is inclusion what is it to belong etc um that you can kind of progress the narrative quite easily where we always like see oh my god where do i go with this as a seat where do we go with a fucking escape from new york too oh my god <laughs> you know this one actually leads in quite easily you you can progress to something quite naturally because the groundwork is laid very strongly even without the nature of the source material if you were to say i've never read a bprd comic my life or a hellboy mm. comic i don't even know the law i don't really know much about folklore or fairy tales or or, or, or um <laughs> mythology you could still say yeah but here's a story about this this guy who feels like an outcast who's about to become a dad and has problems fitting in. Oh, well, hang on a minute. Mm. Get Adam Sandler. No, no, it's not Adam Sandler film. It's, <laughs> it's a different thing. Um, does Uncut Gems. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but that's the point. You you can do that. So I think that the, the, the very humanizing, uh, relatable stuff. That's why Del Toro is also saying very famously, when they said like with Pacific Rim or Hellboy 2, like, oh, I don't really like these ones. I like Pan's Labyrinth. 
And he's like, I've only made one film, effectively. <laughs> All these things draw it on the core of who he is as a person, which is why we always say, like, with like Shape of Water and stuff, who else could have directed that in the way they did? It's 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 an it's an extension of him, and that's nice to have a director who has that um, ability to do that. Yeah, I think if anything, you you almost have kind of a glut of options of of yeah, where yeah, absolutely, Hellboy yeah. could go, but also these so clear lines, and you know that we've all um, to a certain extent kind of keyed in on like, okay, well, it sets up this fatherhood narrative, so that lends itself to exploring Hellboy's relationship with his own quote unquote family, you know, both in terms of like his legacy of of Professor Broom and you know his actual you know, biological family, you know, uh, th- and looking at, at the folklore associated with that and how he deals with that and the ideas of kind of legacy and things like that. There's there's so much rich territory there and things to pull on from the comics, from other folklore that you can integrate. And, I don't, you know, you, you the fact that, like, both of you had castings for uh, um, Aziel and uh, mm-hmm. uh, his mother... You know, there it's clearly there's rich territory there. Just as a slight uh, hypothetical digression for a second, can you imagine if Empire Strikes Back came out and ended on this sort of not necessarily cliffhanger, but it was you know effectively cliffhanger mm. ending, and there was never a third Star Wars, and then Jedi <laughs> never happened. <laughs> yeah, no, Jedi never <laughs> happened. Um, and it kind of faded out of existence. George Lucas said, now we've moved on, now we're doing Indiana Jones and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to do any in, more Star then Wars. Then in 1991, a different filmmaker tried to make... A Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> a new Star Wars film. Um, I know, obviously, it's very different because Star Wars was the biggest thing at the time. It's most influential and blah, blah. I know, I know, I know. I mean, this is a very hyperbolic example. Hellboy's better but... than Star Wars. Oh! I mean, Hellboy has a Sorry, better Hellboy. canteen scene than Star Wars. Certainly <laughs> Hellboy 2. Uh, where he goes into the fucking um, the troll the market, market under the yeah, that's fucking that is much better. But there's no Wolfman and Devil Man. Oh wait, yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> and rather than get an arm cut off, it gets sucked into a fucking grinder. It's genius. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I I think if you left Empire where you did, and it's like, oh my god. What, the story is too open. It's like mm. well, hell, hell, boys. Actually, you could live it there, arguably, which they did. But it's quite open ended. You, you feel like you're about to jump to the next part, mm. um, and then you just sort of stunt and you stop. Same thing with Star Wars. Can you imagine what you'd be able to do off the back of that? And it's like, well, technically, Star Wars in in the first two films, uh, A New Hope and, and Empire Strikes Back, have given you all that you need in terms of lore, backlog, uh, inspiration, and themes. So you can go and say, actually, it's strong enough. I can figure out what to do with it. Mm. And that's kind of the point with Hellboy in a weird way. With the third film, um, I think a lot of people might say, oh, no, no, you have to do this. You have to do this particular arc. But then as, an, as a storyteller, you still have to deal with the issues that are left under the first film, which not necessarily limits, but definitely dictates how you do a film. Unless you do a fucking time skip <laughs> and do release it in 2019 somehow. Um, and it's a case of, okay, now Hellboy is an old man and he has two teenage kids. You know, that sounds you, awful. Of course, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. That sounds terrible. I know. And that's Shrek what I'm trying to say. You can after. do it. I don't think you should. Um, but, um, that's the point you, you can, but you still, I think would feel the need to like, because of the open-endedness of what was remaining, 
it definitely dictates what comes after. So yeah, that is our ideas for Hellboy 3, if it were ever to happen, which it definitely won't. I, I, I'm <laughs> almost certain we will no, never, ever, no. ever get that now because of the the reboot we've had and all that kind of stuff. No chance. But mm. we're, we're living in a sequelizer's world. So we and and like we said, we've, we've moved beyond the period when it would probably work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. If you have any ideas for a Hellboy 3 or any other suggestions for a spin-off BPRD series or anything weird like that, have we got any Hellboy fans out there in the listener world, let us know. You can hit us up on social media. You can email us, sequelizers at gmail.com. We're sequelizers on basically all the different social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. You can... Join us in the Discord and discuss it on there as well. You can find that on our pinned tweet on our Twitter profile and also at the top of our website, sequelizers.com. Matt, if they'd like to contact you directly, how could they do that? Stogs. Done. Stogs. <laughs> That's all you need. S-T-O-G-H-Z. Speak my true name. Whisper it into uh, a giant monolithic stone. Uh Dogs. I mean, you have like a million uh, middle names, so if it, you speak your full name, then maybe that does unleash your demon. If you can say my full name three times in a row without fucking up the order, I'll <laughs> find you, and you won't I like can it. never remember what order it's in, and I'm not going to reveal it Dude. on the show now. Yeah, we dare not. No, exactly, because I'll be in your house, and we're breaking like quarantine rules. <laughs> <laughs> All the social media platforms, obviously, yada, yada, yada. Um, the redrighthand.co.uk. For my film reviews. Red right hand, huh? Red right hand of doom. Right hand of doom. Am I right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Mine's Paradise Lost Reference. But yes. Um, <laughs> and cheesemint.com for the films and TV series and things that I make. Um, Tim. Yo. If you were some sort of half human, half witch, half demon hybrid y thing, where would I find you on the internet? Well, if I was being my normal self, I would just be at trivia underscore lad on Twitter. Uh, that's the best place to find me and engage with all my witterings. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, you know, occasionally drop by the Discord as we're all on there from time to time chatting about various things. Jackie boy. Hello. What, what's in your summoning circle? Uh, well, people do actually know my middle names. <laughs> so they might actually be able to summon me because my handle on all the social medias is JLW Chambers. The L and the W are my middle names. So <laughs> if you don't already know, have fun guessing them in, on on the social medias and all that. I'd like to hear your like all wambless you. Wham wambless you. Yeah, Jack, your names. Jack Lack Whack Chambers. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Lack Whack, that's me. That's why I shorten it to JLW, because it's just embarrassing otherwise. Well, did we establish it was like Jack's um Jack's loud wanking chamber? <laughs> or chambers, sorry. <laughs> uh, I believe the phrase is a masturbatorium, Matthew. <laughs> a masturbatorium. <laughs> My name is uh, so many different allegories for, for masturbation. It's just just upsetting at this point. But yes, I am JLW Chambers on all social media and all that good stuff if you do want to hit me up. If you'd like to support the show, you can review us on Apple Podcasts, review us on Google Podcasts, review us on Stitcher, Podchaser, whatever your 
pod thing, whatever whatever <laughs> catcher of pods you use, feel free to review us on there, give us five stars and all that good stuff that helps us out. And if you'd like to support us monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers, also available as a link at the top of our website. And you can support us from everything from $1 up to $50 and pretty much everything in between for a variety of different rewards. As with uh, the Patreon, I should mention, we do have a lot of really exciting extra content. I mean, during the regular season, in regular situations when there's not a fucking pandemic sweeping across the world, we have like commentaries and all kinds of outtakes and things. We don't have as much of those with the the interseason stuff, but we have, in fact, full episodes. So effectively, if you have the Patreon at a certain tier, you get three bonus episodes like full episodes like this same sort of length runtime but other discussions and a what we've watched recently as well so you're basically getting 14 or 15 into season episodes rather than 10 also if you can't afford to support us on the patreon with a regular donation but you want to show your support and get some kind of physical token of your appreciation of the sequelizers you can head to sequelizers.com and go to our store where you can buy our lovely T-shirts and also amazing prints uh, based uh, on previous films that we have sequelized mm. uh, that are gorgeous, amazing illustrations by John Scarrett uh, to place upon your walls, uh, your ceilings, your body, uh, craft them into clothing of some kind, do whatever you like with them. They're They're really nice, like, card, high-quality A3 prints. So you could kind of do, like, a little a tasteful sandwich board and, mm-hmm. and keep your modesty if you need to. Get one on either side and, and cover your bits if you need to. That's my advice, is buy two <laughs> so you can have a sandwich Just board. went very quiet. Deathly <laughs> silent. <Yeah. laughs> and speaking of Patreon, our executive producers we'd like to thank are Mr. Stuart Main, Mr. Mike Salvia, and Mr. Jonathan Firth Clark. They will be having their picks coming up in season seven, but before then, we'll have plenty of interseason goodness for you guys over the next couple of months or so before we get stuck into season seven later on in the year. So, plenty more coming up, and we will see you next week for more interseason goodness. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you, fools.